If you know, you know. But what happens when you don't know? What to do when it comes to navigating the most important areas of your life. In the City First series, If You Know, You Know, we'll learn how to apply God's wisdom and be in the know on how to win in life. In 1966, the Beatles released Eleanor Rigby, a song on the Revolver album, became one of their well-known hits, and yet, ironically, um, none of the Beatles played any of the instruments on that song. And, and it's interesting because the song is a haunting depiction of two people, Eleanor Rigby and Father Mackenzie, a Catholic priest, who both have one thing in common, and that is this, aloneness. Aloneness. It's been an interesting season in our world over the last year and a half. And in fact, uh, in the last year and a half, in an attempt to flatten a curve of a virus, we have created and increased other curves exponentially one of which is loneliness. Loneliness in our culture, and in fact, it's kind of interesting, NPR reported in January of 2020, now remember this is before the pandemic broke out here in America, that loneliness had increased in the previous two years from 2018 until then by 13%. So in other words, there was an increasing uh, uh, pandemic, you could say, of loneliness happening in America even before COVID. And then if you go way back to 1989, uh, a gentleman by the name of George Gallup, and many of you heard of the Gallup poll, well, he invented the Gallup poll, and, and after much research, he said in 1989, he said this, that Americans are among the loneliest people in the world, end quote. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? So, so in other words, that, that don't just think that a pandemic in 2020 has created this curve. Rather, there has been an increasing amount of loneliness being felt in our nation for maybe even decades. And in the midst of our busy lives and our overcommitted schedules, that we have felt quite alone for quite some time. Maybe some of us more than others. And in my opinion, I think COVID only exposed or maybe even amplified what was already under the surface in our culture. What we really need in this season of COVID craziness, but I would say in every season of life, regardless of when it is, that we need, number one, we need a vibrant relationship with Jesus. We don't need religion. We need a personal relationship with Jesus. And I would say number two is this. We need meaningful, beneficial, and healthy friendships with others. And I think that this is best summed up by an author by the name of Taylor Caldwell, and she wrote this decades ago. So this is not a current writing, but it's kind of interesting because I think it is very appropriate for us here in 2021. She wrote this, the most desperate need of men today is not a new vaccine for any disease. Man does not need to go to the moon or other solar systems, Elon Musk. <laughs> he does not require bigger or better bombs and missiles. His real need, his most terrible need, is for someone to listen to him, not as a patient, but as a human soul. I think that is so important. So today, this is what we're going to do, City First. We are going to dive into what the Bible has to say about friendships about meaningful friendships, because this is what I know. I know that we all need them. 
regardless of whatever stage of life we're in, maybe we're young, maybe we're old, maybe we're middle-aged, it doesn't matter, you know, who we are, what we do, we need significant, meaningful connection in our lives. And we're in this series called, If You Know, You Know. And we're talking about this book that's found in the Old Testament. It's called Proverbs. The nickname for this book is the Book of Wisdom. And here it is, written by, at the time, I talked about this last week, the wisest man to walk the face of the earth outside of Jesus himself, wrote this book. He had a divine wisdom. And, and so what we're doing is we are looking into this. And every day I'm encouraging all of us to just read a chapter a day this month. And you can easily remember what chapter to read. Just whatever date it is, read that chapter, all right? So it, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And it conveniently could be, you know, a month's worth of reading. It takes about 10 minutes a day. But as you're doing it, you need to ask yourself, what does this wisdom, how does it apply to me? What is it saying to me specifically? Because this is what I know. I know that your tomorrows are a direct result of today's decision. And if you make decisions, your decisions will eventually make you. And so we need to make wise decisions in life. Whether we're at Cape Coral right now, or we're watching from a City First Anywhere location, or online, or right here at the Spring Creek and State Line location, God behind bars, it doesn't matter where we are at today, even in our living room, we need to be people of wise decisions. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. <laughs> I want to make wise decisions. And kind of the theme verse this month um, that we're talking about is found in Proverbs chapter 4. It says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. In other words, you could say, like, the beginning of eating is get food, you know? So the beginning of wisdom, some of you are like, oh, I need to be wise with my decisions. I want to be wiser with my decisions. Well, this is the thing. You start by getting wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. I think what this verse is saying is that you don't just become wise by mistake. Or wisdom doesn't strike you like lightning. In fact, for 30 years of my life, almost every single day, I pray the same prayer. God, give me wisdom beyond my years, beyond my education, and beyond my, my natural abilities. I want to have a godly wisdom. And so you can be wise at any age, but you have to get after it. You have to go after it. It doesn't just happen, in other words. And so let's talk about godly wisdom for friendships today, all right? And uh, to start off with that, I got a question for all y'all, okay? What is the oldest known problem to humankind? What's the oldest problem known to humankind? Like, like what is it? Like, you might think, well, okay, uh, we got to go way, way back, like to the beginning of the world, maybe. Um, is, is the oldest problem sin? No, it's actually not. You know, in fact, we have to go way back to even like the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect, all right? And this is where it all began. God created this paradise for, for us to live in, you could say. That was his original plan, his original intent. There was no sin yet in the world. And, and everything was perfect and everything was good except for one thing. Now, I realize some of you are like going, well, wait a minute. No, I thought everything was perfect and good when God created Eden. True, but there was one thing that was not good. In fact, God said this every day he got done creating various parts of our universe, the earth, the, the land, the sea, everything in it. And every day he would end his day by saying, it is good. It is good. But yet, there was something that was not good. 
There was something that was not good, and God makes a startling statement at the beginning of the world before sin had entered the world, and this is what he said was not good. We find it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said this, it is not good for man to be, what's that word? Alone. <laughs> so here in the middle of paradise, in perfection, before sin had stained the world, there was still something that was not good, and that was aloneness. So our first problem was not sin. Our first problem was aloneness. Sin came later. See, remember this, that, that sin had not entered the world, and yet God said, this is not good, and so I need to create a companion. I need to create somebody that is a friend, a, a partner, you could say, with Adam, and this problem needed to be fixed, A-S-A-P. What this really does, though, is this shows us something about our original design, like even pre-sin original design. What we are understanding is, is that we can even live in the godliest environment, and we can be the godliest, but it's still not good if we're alone. It's still not good if we're alone. In fact, the word Adam means this. It means human. And the word Eve, the name Eve, means life. And so what that tells me is that every human needs another life to truly become alive. Do you hear that? Now I realize, even though our key problem now is sin, our first problem was loneliness and social isolation. And my friends, that is true today in 2021. I'll say it even louder for the people in the back. Every one of us needs another. Every one of us needs another. We really do. And, and yeah, you can give that a round of applause. First, we need God. If we have another without God, it is incomplete. So our very first need is we need to be in communion or in relationship with Jesus. But then, after that, we need others, even those of us that are introverted. I, need, I know some of you that are like going, you know, this whole like shelter in place in 2020 when we had that and, and the whole COVID thing. For some of you that are introverted, you're like, this is my best life. Because I don't have to go outside, I don't have to interact with people. Okay, I understand that. Some people have extroverted personalities. Some people have introverted personalities. But I would say this, regardless of your personality, regardless of how old you are, regardless of the way that you lean in interaction with others, I will tell you it is not good to be alone or socially isolated. You can have times of aloneness, but it cannot be chronic, you could say. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, I am around people all freaking day. <laughs> You're like, I mean, I'm around people at work. I'm around people at school. I'm around people in life. If you're a stay-at-home parent, I'm around the littles 24-7, right? I mean, I, I heard a story this, you know, a couple weeks ago of a mom who had to make a phone call, so she literally locked herself in a closet to make the phone call so that the littles didn't get to her, Right? It's like Lord of the Flies or something. I don't know. But this is the thing. Yes, you're around people, and you live around many people. But here's the question. Do you experience life deeply and significantly with any of them? See, that's the real question. Because most of us who are around people, we're in crowds, but we have crowded loneliness. So just because you're around people does not mean that you're not lonely. I would even say this. Just because you're married doesn't mean 
that you're not lonely. See, today, as I use Adam and Eve as a launching pad here, do not mistakenly think that I am saying that the way that we are all designed is that we have to be married, and until we're married, we're just going to suffer from aloneness. That is not what I'm saying today. I would tell you, I know people that are married, and they are quite alone. It has nothing to do with your marital status. You can be single and alone. You can be married and alone. You can be married with kids and alone. You can be single parenting and alone. You can be, you can be divorced. You can be remarried. You can be widowed. You can be alone in all stages of those, those, those areas of marriage. But, but here's the thing. It's not about marriage today. It's about connection. It's about connection with other people. And is it deep and is it significant? And, 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 and listen, the minute I'm preaching this, I know all the guys in the room because I'm a guy. I, I am not insinuating that you have to sit across the table from somebody, look deep in their eyes and be like, how are you doing today? Every guy is like, I'm out <laughs> at that, right? No, I, I'm not saying that. It's just that you have significant connection with others. There may even be a sense of emptiness or a sense that all the pieces of the puzzle are not quite fitting together in your life because of crowded loneliness. You're around people all the time, but yet there's this, this starvation going on inside of you that you, you, you are craving, you're hungry for something that's significant when it comes to connection with others. I would say this, that in my opinion, casual connections are not life-giving or soul-filling. When you just bump into people at work, bump into people at school, bump into your neighbors, bump. I mean, you know what, can I tell you, that, that's not even really life-giving or soul-filling. You and I need to have significant friends in life that we do life with and that they do life with us. And again, like I said, that the way that God designed us is, number one, we have to have a relationship with him. That's our greatest need. Otherwise, we're definitely alone. But number two is the need of significant relationships with others. And both are needed. I would say it this way. Jesus, in him you find forgiveness. In God you find purpose. And in godly friendships, God shows you your divine identity. I'm of the belief, and I know some of you might have to think about this. I'm of the belief that you don't discover your God-filled identity unless you're in community. Because if you're alone, you cannot discover your identity in aloneness. You have to have other people that are there that help you. And that is why I've said for years, in fact, I've said it for probably almost 30 years, going way back to my youth pastor days. I've said it so much it even has almost become a cliche around here. But show me your friends, and let me see if you know the rest, and I'll show your future, right? Because this is the reason why, if I look at your friends, I'm going to see your future values. I'm going to see your future identity, because you take on the identity of your tribe. And on top of that, I will show you your future priorities, and convictions, and value systems, and everything that goes with it. And so, who you hang around is very important, and, and, and God wants us to have togetherness, not just to avoid aloneness. So hear that. Togetherness is not just a cure for aloneness, but rather, more importantly, to foster godliness and significance in our life when it comes to our identity. In uh, 1989, Kellogg's, you know, the cereal company, um, launched a brand new product that they thought was going to take the world by storm. And it was called 
breakfast mates, all right? And this is a picture of them. Some of you might remember. Um, these are single serving or were single serving portions of cereal. So it was various Kellogg's cereals in a single portion that was in a throwaway container and you would peel it open and it came also with a carton of milk that did not need to be refrigerated. Yes, seriously. So they, they invented a way that milk did not need to be refrigerated. It could be stored anywhere. And, and so it was all in this like one, all in one package and it came even with little spoons. So, so all you had to do is take this like breakfast mate, peel it open, pour in the milk that didn't need to be refrigerated and it came with a spoon. It was kind of all in one. And so the advertising campaign was, uh, had this theme, all right? They spent $30 million on an advertising campaign. And basically the commercial stated this that this is a breakfast solution for busy families. Also, they said this, kids can get up early and feed themselves without parents needing to help. In fact, this is what they said, parents can get ready for work or they can even sleep in and your kids can get their breakfast on their own. That was what the ad campaign said. And on top of that, it said this, it said that kids not only could get the breakfast on their own, even the littles, but also they can eat breakfast and watch TV at the same time. This was their pitch, no joke. And uh, after about two years, Kellogg's pulled the product because it was a cataclysmic failure. And here's the reason why. There are basically three reasons. First reason is this. Americans had a hard time imagining using milk that didn't need to be refrigerated. Like there's just something about Americana that says I pour cold milk over my cereal every morning, right? I mean, come on, right? The second reason was this, is that little kids, especially the littles, were having trouble like opening up the carton and so they wouldn't be able to eat. So that was another problem that Kellogg's found. Third problem I think is interesting. It was a social and almost like a psychological thing. The parents had a hard time saying, I'm going to purposely create a way that my young kids can be alone eating at the kitchen table and just be entertained by the TV. Like the, the DeWarts, we have for years had this like rule <laughs> at the DeWert kitchen table. My kids haven't liked it either, to be honest with you. They've rebelled against it. Sometimes they try to be sneaky with it. But we said no screens. And here's the reason why we say no screens at the, at the dinner table. Like when we eat at the kitchen table, here's the reason why. It's because if we have screens, we're basically saying our family connection is less important than your entertainment. That's what we're really saying. I'm like, I refuse to do that because we only have a certain amount of time with you kids and you're going to be off on your own. And you know what? We want to have significant connection around the table. In fact, the kitchen table is where real connection happens in our homes, right? I mean, like you, you go to the living room and the living room is where you gather and sometimes you have guests over and many times you're watching TV, which there's nothing wrong with that or watching a movie or something like that. But you know what? At the kitchen table, that's where the real stuff of family happens. Like, that's where, that's where the arguments happen, right? That's where, that's where the memories take place, like the significant conversation. Like, like when your kid, if you're married and you have kids, like when, when he or she turns one years old, you don't put the, like the little 
you know, chair up next to the couch and put a, a cake on top of the couch, right? What do you do? You pull up to the kitchen table. You bring, you know, the little, the little chair to the kitchen table. And you, you take, you know, the kid's shirt off and put a bib on. And you basically put a big cake with frosting in front of them and let them go to town. In fact, I would say this, that if you look back at your family pictures, all right, most of the family events involve tables and eating, right? Right? So there's something about the kitchen table. In fact, this is interesting, little known fact, maybe we never thought of it before, but it's in the scriptures, is that after Jesus rose from the dead, we just got done talking about Easter, okay? So after the tomb was empty, he came back to life. He spent 40 days on the face of the earth before he ascended to heaven. So for those 40 days, this is what he did. He met with people. He appeared. He, he like would show up in rooms. And every single time that he showed up in a room, okay, except for the exception of twice, and I'll tell you that in a minute, but every single time that he showed up in a room, always it involved eating and tables. Every time he showed up to people, like when he showed up to the disciples, when he showed up on the road to Emmaus, what had happened after the walk on the road to Emmaus, they sat down and they ate together. Jesus broke bread, and at that moment, the, the two characters in the story are like, oh my goodness, this was the Messiah. It's interesting, post-resurrection, Jesus is always meeting people at tables, and there's always food. In fact, you could say this, that Jesus always ate good food with bad people. In fact, even before he was resurrected, he did this. He would eat with the sinners. He would eat with those people that were the tax collectors, right? And, and he'd say, what are the two exceptions post-resurrection? Well, one was right literally the morning of resurrection, Easter Sunday, when Mary Magdalene is, is in the garden weeping because the tomb is empty and they thought that that someone had stole the body and Jesus walks up on her and she mistook him for a gardener. That's one time there isn't a table. But he is a gardener at that point, mistakenly. Second thing is this, is when in Matthew 28, when he gathers his disciples on top of a hill in Galilee and he gives them final words about going into all the world and baptizing and, and preaching the gospel and, and such, and then he ascends to heaven. Those are the only two times out of all the times where resurrected Jesus shows up to people that there isn't a table and there isn't eating. So, what's my point? What's my point? Well, my point is, is this, is it seems like Jesus does his best work at the tables of our lives. That he shows up at a place of friendship and fellowship because what does a table and what does eating represent? That's where community takes place. Do you know that someday when we go to heaven, for those of us that are Christ followers, we go to heaven. You know, I know that you think to yourself, well, I'm going to fly around with angels' wings. That's nowhere in the Bible, by the way, all right? You don't get wings, all right? Um, instead, you know what the first thing we're going to do after we get into heaven and we see our Savior? We're going to have a banquet. We're going to eat. Isn't that amazing? Like there is, a, there is a banqueting table that is being prepared for us. That we will sit with those that are the host of heavens, past, present, and future, that are in heaven, and we are going to feast. Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. That is not just preparing heaven, but also it's preparing a meal. Why? Because the God who loves us and created us wants to have fellowship with us. Do you hear that? 
It's pretty amazing. In fact, uh, you know, not only that, but in, in Revelation, there's this, this verse, and it's, it's a metaphor where it says that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you let me in, now what is that a metaphor? If Jesus is knocking at your heart, at your life, if you open the door to him, what does it say that he'll do? He says that he'll come in and he'll preach you a three-point sermon. No. It's not what it says in that verse. It says, if you let me in, I will come in and I will dine with you. I will eat with you and we will have relationship. Isn't that amazing? So, again, what am I driving at here? I'm driving at the fact that Jesus is all about community. It seems like the resurrected Jesus does his most important and significant work in people's lives through community, through the table. That is why we need other people with us in this life. We can't be alone. Imagine this table right here. Imagine this is your life. Okay, so this table represents your life. My question to you is this, who is sitting with you and who are you sitting with? Like, like who is with you at the table of your life? Like I'm talking the inner circle of your life. Like if, if, if you're married, I hope one of the seats is occupied with your spouse, right? Is there a best friend? Is there a coworker? Is, is you know, who, who is it? Is it a fellow student? Like, like who sits at the most sacred and intimate space of your life, the table of your life. Who are you consuming life with? Hopefully, also at the head of your table is where Jesus sits. Because if not, we're just alone. We're alone. And life was never meant to be done alone. There's an old Italian saying, and actually, I have it in Italian, but I practiced it over and over again, and I could not say it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the English translation of it. <laughs> it's this. The one who drinks alone chokes. The one who drinks alone chokes. Anybody Italian here? Raise your hand. Okay. You like food, and you like to eat, don't you? I mean, I've been to Italy multiple times, and I will tell you, the best food in the world, some of the best food in the world, I, I might even say the best food in the world is found in Italy, in certain parts of Italy. And, and it's, like, it's like, it's all about sitting at the table. Like, like you know, in, in Italy, it's, it's all about gathering. And they have, you know, tables in homes. And sometimes they do tables out in these outside areas, in these vineyards and, and such like that. It's all about the gathering. It's important. It's a part of Italian life, right? And everybody who's Italian in here says a big amen, right? It's true. You see, some of us, though, we're drinking in the stress and the pace and the craziness of our overburdened schedules and this world, and we're silently choking. Why? Because we're alone in it. And our life is empty, and there's no one there to share it with us. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. He says, the true decorations of a home are the guests that frequent it. I know some of you like hanging pictures and you have, you know, nice furniture and you got nice carpet and all these different things. But, but Ralph Waldo Emerson would say the true decorations of your home are the guests that frequent it. So who are you inviting to your life, 
into your life to sit at your table? Who, who are you doing life with? Now, the natural question as we begin to wrap up here is some of you are thinking, I, I could hear it in your minds, even though you're not saying it out loud. You're thinking, well, where do I find godly significant friendships? Where do I find that? Well, I'm going to give you the same answer I've given for 30 years. And I'm a broken record, okay? I'm very predictable. And I'm going to say this, that you find those friendships at church, specifically in a life group or a serve team. And, and that's why it's so important that all of us get in a life group or get on a serve team because it's more than just about, you know, breaking open the Bible or doing an activity and that, you know, that's life group. It's more than just, you know, serving in some capacity. It's more than that. What that is is that's an environment where you're inviting people to your table and people are inviting you to their table. And guess what? There's connection there. There's connection there. And, and, and I guess, you know, the, the hard part about it is is that many people are thinking, well, Really, you know, at Life Group, am I going to find the right people? No, not necessarily. I, I just think it's your best chance to find people in those environments. So you can go to our website. You can go to, um, you know, our app. You can find out more about how to serve and, and, and how to get in a Life Group. And, and, and you know what? If you try a Life Group, you don't like it, fine. Try another one. But the importance here is finding an environment where you have the best chance to have significant friendships with others. So what kind of people, what kind of people should I invite to my table? That's a good question too. Well, I'm gonna read from the Book of Wisdom for a moment. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Well, you invite people to your table who are not doing dumb things. Uh, I know, some of you are like, oh, that's kind of basic. Yes, that is. But can I be honest? Some of us have people sitting at the table of our life that are doing dumb things. All right, you don't want those people in your inner circle. You don't want fools. You want people that are wise, who are godly. Proverbs 22, 24, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Wow, you know what that means? Don't invite people to your table who are full of anger and bitterness and negativity. Some of you right now, you're surrounded by all the wrong negative people. All right, you got to get some people who have faith and positivity. Proverbs 18, 24, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. You know what that tells me? That you need to invite people to your table that are loyal with you through thick and thin, right? Here's another one. Proverbs 19.6, many seek favors from a ruler, but everyone is the friend of a person who gives gifts. Well, you know what that tells me? You need to invite generous people into your life, and you yourself should be generous also. Generous with words, generous with time, generous maybe even with resource. Proverbs 27, never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. When disaster strikes, you won't have to ask your brother for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor than to a brother who lives far away. You know what that tells me? You need to invite people to your table that are reliable. Proverbs 16, 28, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best friends. You know what that tells me? Don't invite people into your inner circle who like to gossip and talk about others. Proverbs 17, 9, last one. 
love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But dwelling on it separates close friends. You know, you need to invite people into your life that keep short accounts. Because you know what? You need people in your life that keep short accounts because you're not perfect and they aren't either. So you invite people into your life that see the good, the bad, and the ugly and still love you anyways. Now I realize I just read those and you're like going, wow, that's a tall order. Well, it is. But this is what we should do. We should be proactively trying to find these people and invite them to the tables of our lives. So, so how do you find these people? Well, here's the answer. Be that type of person with those characteristics and you will in turn attract who you are. You can't just sit there and be like, God, there's no one in my life that has these characteristics. God is saying, you be that first. Because sowing and reaping works well beyond finances. When you sow those characteristics into friendships, guess what? You will reap those friendships back. God's first command in the Bible, the first command to humans is to eat. His last command in the Bible is to drink. The first one is to eat, and the last one is to drink. And everything in between is all about who you're inviting to your life's table. First and foremost, Jesus, to sit at the head, but then others. So today, I hope that I've inspired you, surfaced to maybe the forefront of your mind, the need for significant, deeper connections, friendships with others. Because this is what I know. Our first problem before sin was aloneness. And this is what I also know. Maybe I don't know your story, but I'm seeing the statistics right now that are being released even by non-religious organizations like the CDC. And I'm seeing this. Aloneness is a pandemic that people are not noticing on a grand scale, but it is there. And I will tell you that aloneness will be here after COVID goes away. So we must be people who are proactively finding significant friends and being significant friends to others. My prayer, City First, is that this place would be a place full of deep, rich, significant, godly connections. That this would be an oasis in a desert of aloneness. So let me pray for you. Because some of you already have those kind of friends. They're sitting at your table. But some of you, you need those kind of friends. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for every person that God is within the sound of my voice, whether they're in a living room right now, Maybe they've even been in shelter in place because they're immunocompromised for well over a year. and they, they just feel like, gosh, this sermon resonates. Or maybe, maybe they're in one of our auditoriums or our Sadie First Anywhere locations. and There's just something inside them. They, they, they want more. Their, their soul is, is, is just dry because they need not just you, but they need the others that you bring into their lives that give them that significant connection. God, I pray that they would be that first, that they wouldn't just wait around, 
But Lord, they would be the kind of friend that they want. That they would be the kind of relationship that they need. And as they sow those efforts, bring into their lives significant, godly, deeper than just the surface kind of friendships that begin to rejuvenate their souls and shape their godly identity. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we give Jesus our praise today?